Hello and welcome to the Triage Method Podcast with me, Gary McGowan. I'm my co-host as always, Mr. Patrick Farrell. Paddy, how are you? I'm positively splendid, Gary. How are you? I believe you uh, have started your exams. Yeah, I've started my exams. Had a pediatrics exam in person yesterday, so that was good. Went well. Glad to have that out of the way. And now a couple of weeks of study until the kind of heaviest period of exams hits. So that's the plan. Splendid. And what are we talking about today, Gary? Today we're talking about uh, supplementation once again. So we're continuing with the supplement series and we're discussing supplements for women in particular today. Okay. So this is obviously a very large segment of the fitness industry. And very often we speak quite generically in terms of, you know, supplementation or health practices that might be of benefit. And that is good in 90% of cases in that most things for men and women are the same in terms of health recommendations. But there are some cases where, you know, you might consider specific supplements for women that you might consider for men, you might consider specific dietary changes. And in rare cases, you might consider some differences in training practices. So we want to tease out some of those today, um, paying, you know, respect to the fact that uh, one, women and men are different physiologically. Okay, that's pretty obvious. But then also that women have other um, barriers at different stages in the lifespan related to, for example, uh, pregnancy, uh, their menstrual cycle, menopause, etc. So all of these different phases of a woman's life can modify nutrient requirements and also the potential benefit that they might get from specific supplements. Yeah, and it's this is kind of on the back of the previous episode naturally enough that's how an episode or a series a podcast series works you know they all build on each other um but when we talk about you know male supplements or supplements for men right very often the conversation is just oh what supplements can i take to boost my testosterone <laughs> you know like that's basically the extent of the discussion so the last episode we did on uh testosterone boosting supplements Quite an easy, you know, we can run through, oh, this is exactly what people are being exposed to. This is exactly, you know, what they should maybe think about when they're, they're thinking about these different things. And boom, there's the episode done. But when we come to discussing like female health supplements or supplements for women, the, the waters get really muddied because we're no longer just talking about like a singular thing. Now, obviously, like boosting your testosterone is not just a singular thing. There's all different physiological mechanisms and systems at play that we have to think about off target effects, et cetera, et cetera. But very often the stuff that is recommended for women, it's just non-specific or it's for a specific thing, but it's described in a non-specific way as if like all women should just take this like X supplement, you know? And that's that could be fine, maybe fine, might be, you know, a non-issue. It could be something like a protein powder, which obviously again, it's like, yeah, it might actually help with a specific issue, but it's also quite helpful in general, right? Um, but we have to take into consideration that, like you were saying, with women across a lifespan, across a life cycle, there's different things that you potentially may be optimizing for. And then also there are different things that can quote unquote go wrong, right? Like we could be looking at supplements for PCOS or supplements for endometriosis, right? And those supplements are not necessarily going to be the same supplements that someone that 
doesn't have those those conditions needs to take right and very often you'll see online discussions like it's made out as if like oh here's these supplements for hormonal health you know and that doesn't mean that everyone needs to take them like <laughs> but someone with say pcos these supplements might actually help right so the the waters get very muddied and it can be very confusing to kind of go oh well what should i be taking i'm just a the archetypical generic woman like where do i start with this stuff right so we have to be very targeted in our thinking and we can't really have just this like shotgun approach having said that this episode is going to be a bit of a like shotgun overview rundown of everything right it's not going to go in depth into any specific area yeah we're going to talk about the different things but this episode Basically, what we wanted to do was pull all the stuff, all the supplements that we talked about in the female health series that we ran last year uh, with Nicola. We wanted to pull all that information, all the supplements we talked about in that, and just put them all in one place. So maybe you don't want to go back and listen to whatever it is, 30 episodes on female health. You just want to go, tell me all the supplements. What supplements did you talk about? What did you recommend? What did you say? Meh. Like, that's what we wanted to do with this episode. So Gary, do you mind to add to that introduction? And if not, where do we start with this? Yeah, so starting off here, I think one of the most important things for uh, listeners in our audience is that many of the principles of basic nutrition for health and sports nutrition remain the same. And one of the ones that always gets me is that, you know, women often will worry about whether or not they should consume as much protein, whether or not they should consume protein supplements. You know, they they might be concerned that, oh, these are for guys who want to like really bulk up, but is this for me? And protein is actually a, an incredibly important nutrient for women. And in particular, um, across the lifespan, when we look at what a woman might be at risk of later in life, osteopenia and osteoporosis, weakening of the bones and subsequent fractures is something that we really end up being concerned about. And this is particularly important in our aging population where people are living much later um, or living much longer. And obviously what we want is that people can preserve both their health span and their lifespan so that as, as we're living longer, that we're able to live high quality lives. And having a high protein intake throughout your life is something that can actually contribute to that because we know that protein contributes to bone health and in particular contributes to muscle health and overall function, which subsequently contributes to bone health and reduces risk of fractures. So protein intake throughout the lifespan, really important. And that includes protein supplementation. So don't just think it's for people that want to bulk up. Okay. That's, you know, of course, part of it, but trying to bulk up is something that is really, really difficult to do involves very deliberate overfeeding over long periods of time. It involves very deliberate, dip, difficult training. And for most women, supplementing with protein for both health and longevity, performance, body composition is universally beneficial. Yeah, and just on that, there's no need to go out and buy any of these female targeted specific protein powders. Yeah, like protein is protein. Yeah, whey protein. That's usually what people will go for. You can get like protein blends like whey, casein, you can get like egg, whatever, but you don't need a specific targeted one because that is something that very often like people do kind of fall into the trap of where they're like, oh, I'm going to get this lean whey. You know, it's like, oh, it's it's whey protein that is for, 
you know, keeping you lean. And that sounds you're like, oh, that, that sounds that sounds right. Um, but it's just it's just protein, right? You don't need to get anything magical with this, right? So don't fall for the marketing hype. Again, it is one of those things where it's like the pink tax, where it's like, oh, I'm just gonna put this in the uh female specific packaging and then charge 20% extra, you know? You don't need it. Just get the normal stuff. It's gonna be cheaper and it's just as effective, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then from a general health perspective, many of the other things uh, remain the same in terms of nutrients. So from a, for fiber, again, we recommend 10 to 15 grams per thousand calories, the same as for men, okay? Um, iron is something that does- Sorry, become... just on that, one of the things that for for women, again, it, I think women are generally a little bit better for getting their fruits and vegetables in. So they might not actually need a supplement for this, but supplementing with fiber- could potentially be beneficial. Um, but it is one of those things where, first of all, we always recommend before we get into these supplements, we should just caveat it. We always recommend a, a food first approach. So, you know, when we're going to be talking about these different things, a lot of these, because right now we're going to just discuss like these kind of general health supplements or nutrients of concern or things to look out for. If you can just get them from the diet, that would be the best approach. You don't need to supplement with any of these things. If you can get a well-balanced diet regularly, right? Um, but fiber is one of those things where, yeah, it could be definitely nice supplement with if you're struggling to get in enough fruit and veg, et cetera, or you just want to bump your intake up a little bit or maybe potentially get some uh, additional benefits from, say, something like psyllium husk where, you know, you want to get uh, a lowering of blood lipids or an altering of blood lipids, you know? Mm-hmm. And then we've got iron, which is a nutrient of concern for some women, particularly those who, you know, have been flagged for iron deficiency, deficiency anemia in the past. Maybe you've got um, very heavy menstruation, for example, and as a result, you're having blood loss and iron loss. It can become a nutrient of concern. And also due to the fact that, you know, as you mentioned, Patty, women are sometimes um, less likely to you know consume a lot of red meat generally men consume more red meat um and obviously the there's quite a push towards plant-based diets vegetarian and vegan diets and generally women tend to be more likely uh, to lean towards those as well so all of those might make iron a concern in some cases it doesn't mean everyone has to supplement with it it would be based on on blood work and whether or not this has been flagged but it is something that may be a concern yeah, and as you noted there, red meat is generally where most people are going to get their iron intake in the diet. Obviously, there are other sources. Again, we're not going to get into all of them, otherwise <laughs> we do this for every single nutrient. We're going to be here all day. Um, but if you can, two servings of red meat per week, you know that generally seems to work well for a, a general kind of preventative or uh, I suppose you know proactive iron intake. Um, some people might need more. Some people might need less. Um, it is just one of those things that ideally you would just get blood work for this stuff. You know, now there are signs and symptoms. Again, you can talk to your doctor about this. There's signs and symptoms of iron deficiency that you might be able to, you know, kind of see, you know, a little bit ahead of time. Like we always say, like, you know, you can look at the whites of your eye, et cetera, stuff like that. We're not going to get into that. Ideally, we're just going to say it should be based on blood work. This is something that you should talk to your doctor about. You don't want to just be taking iron for no reason there are potential like uh, ill effects from just supplementing with extra iron. So it's not just like, oh, cool. The guys that mentioned iron in their supplement series, 
I should be taking that. No, ideally blood work. Ideally, we're just getting it from the diet in general. Move on. Now, again, I know we have a large proportion of Irish and British people listening to this. So there is a relatively high percentage of people potentially listening to this that have hemochromatosis and different iron related uh, issues. So again, I'm just putting it out there. You need to talk to your doctor. That's when we're talking about iron. That's something you discuss with your doctor. Yeah. And unfortunately, Guinness does not have that much iron. As you mentioned, you know, Irish people think that, oh, <laughs> red meat and Guinness. Yeah, no, unfortunately, it's not very dense in, dark, in iron. So anyway, uh, iodine uh, is something that comes up as well. A potential, you know, nutrient of concern in some cases. Now, this has been largely taken care of through the use of uh, iodized salt in most of um I'm gonna say the West, but from unfortunately not. No, yeah. <laughs> only I think only Switzerland iodizes their salt generically. Everywhere else doesn't. The rest of the West, America does as well. I should say that in a lot of places, but in Northern Europe anyway, I don't think they do this. Uh, most Europeans are somewhat iron deficient, or sorry, not iron deficient, iodine <laughs> deficient. Um. So yeah, again, it's not something you could generic. You need to like generically supplement with or anything, but it is something that could be. Um, you could get it through iodized salt, so you can still get iodized salt even if it's not um, the one that you use regularly. Um, and iodine is often added to other food products through fortification as well. So um, you know, it's not like we have widespread iodine deficiency and thyroid complications as a result but you know still something to potentially pay attention to anything else yeah. to say that? the only thing i would say is it's more of a concern if you are not eating any uh sea produce and i don't mean just like fish or whatever like if you're not eating seaweed or anything like that it's more of a concern if you're someone that regularly consumes i don't know sushi for example then it's going to be less of a concern now iodine again the requirements for iodine might be different at different stages of your life especially as it relates to stuff like pregnancy breastfeeding different things like that um but this is why we generally recommend getting good habits put in place when you're younger that's the ideal i know obviously someone might be listening to this and they're 60 years old and they're going well i can't go back in fucking time um but if you can get good habits built in place or put in place when you're younger obviously these lead to an easier time of things in your later years like again say you have really good habits built in your 20s and then you go on to you know in your 30s get pregnant have a child etc like you're going to be able to fall back on those habits those in this case like iodine consuming habits right um, and you don't necessarily need to go out of your way and this is a really important thing uh to to understand because very often people will have a life change in terms of you know something has changed in their life they maybe moved area got pregnant etc etc right and now they have new requirements but they weren't even meeting the like baseline requirements previously so it's a huge change in their overall lifestyle that they have to then come to terms with like gary you don't eat fish you eat like salmon and that's it you know let's imagine salmon didn't exist for you to go from like, oh, I actually need to get like, say, let's say omega-3, right? So you're like, oh, where is my source of omega-3? If you just didn't e eat salmon, like you wouldn't have a source of omega-3 in the diet, right? So for you, it would be a huge jump then to go, 
oh, well, actually, now you're pregnant, right? You're like, oh, now you need more omega-3. Where are you going to get that from? Because you don't, you don't have a regular source in your diet, right? So it's really important to get a good baseline diet, baseline diet practices, et cetera, set up as early in your life as you can. And then when there are different changes, you know, in your circumstances, situation, et cetera, you can then modify from there because it's much harder to just start from fucking scratch, right? Um, especially when there's other things going on in your life. Anyway, that's, I don't know why I brought that up right there, but it is an important thing to just note, especially when it's one of these nutrients that is a, a little bit more, like we'll say esoteric in the diet, like iodine, you're really only getting it from like the sea, basically, right? So if you don't eat sea produce, any products from the sea, your iodine intake is probably going to be quite low unless you go out of your way to search for it. Next up is vitamin D. Okay. Uh, rare, rare, rare day in Ireland today where the sun is shining. It's a beautiful day outside. Uh, most of the time, we're not getting that much vitamin D production from the sun here in Ireland, at least. And um, that can be a problem. Okay. So vitamin D supplementation is something that's often recommended kind of just as a broad sweeping recommendation. And that's not necessarily bad, but what I would say is that it does really depend on, you know, your blood work. You don't just want to go and take loads of vitamin D. Um, if you have never had a test and you have, you know, no suspicion of having low vitamin D, but it is something that uh, could be important, particularly around pregnancy um, and other life stages. So you don't want to be vitamin D deficient. You don't want to be vitamin D insufficient. So, Obviously, you know, getting out in the sun where possible, potentially supplementing with vitamin D or eating, you know, vitamin D fortified food products would be of benefit. Yeah. And most Europeans, because that's just what I'm most familiar with, most Europeans, I think it's like 40 to 60%, depending on the statistics, are either deficient or like borderline insufficient uh, in vitamin D. And that even goes for like Mediterranean countries, which you'd think oh, there's sun all the time. They Surely they should be able to get enough vitamin D. But most people have office jobs. Most people are not working outside. Most people wear clothes that are like, you know, covering the vast majority of their body. So unfortunately, quite a lot of people don't get enough vitamin D. And this is one of those things where generally we recommend a food first approach. And yet there's going to be fortified products like there's milk products fortified with vitamin d etc but even with that it can still be quite difficult to just get enough vitamin d so this is one of those ones where supplementing can be a really nice thing to do my generic general recommendation when someone says this they are oh, should i take vitamin d is if you can get blood work happy days then we can be more specific if you're not willing to go out of your way to do that or you don't have the means the like ability to you know whatever um then during the winter months or the darker months where you're less likely to get vitamin D, supplement with 1,000 to maybe 2,000 IU. That's relatively generally safe. I think it's 400 IU is the general recommendation, but that's actually like quite low, right? So 1,000, supplement with 1,000 IU per day on the days that you remember, you're probably good to go, right? Uh, during the winter months. And then during the summer months, try to get outside, get some sunlight on your skin, that's it. You know, like you don't need to go overboard with this. It can be a nice like fallback just to 
it's it's fairly easy to just pop a single pill of a thousand IU vitamin D. Like it's not, it's not hard. You know, you might take a multivitamin as well with that. And you're like, boom, there's, there's the vast majority of nutritional insufficiencies or deficiencies looked after, you know, would you agree with that Gary? Yeah, that sounds good to me. And then we've got vitamin B12. Um, so vitamin B12, again, like the, the classic source of, of B12 that people think of are, I suppose, animal foods in general, particularly, you know, things like, um, you know, meat, of course, but also dairy products as well. Um, so, yeah, that's a, a large source of B12 in the diet. And it is increasingly, you know, included in fortified food products as well. You even need to see that if you're, you know, having cereal or something, you'll see, oh, fortified with vitamin B12. So vitamin B12 is something that's important. It is something that can be um, insufficient or deficient in some people. So uh, potentially something of concern. Yeah, and it's a little bit more of a concern in women purely because women are more likely to be on vegetarian, vegan, plant-based diets. So again, if that is you, then you need to be thinking, okay, well, where is the B12 in the diet? Again, that's all. So again, it's not something that you need to necessarily supplement with, but it is one of those things where from a general health perspective, if you have a dietary pattern that doesn't have enough B12 in it, okay, you need to be looking out for that. Uh, what's next, Gary? Calcium. What's the story with calcium? Oh, you want me to answer it, right? Uh, well, with calcium, again, this is one of those things where everyone needs calcium. However, women potentially have more of a need for calcium, uh, especially when we're in these kind of bone building years of your life um it is one of those things that it's fairly easy to get in the diet if you are consuming dairy products but as women again as we said are more likely to be on that kind of vegetarian although i think vegetarians can still eat dairy but vegan and then also just generally plant-based um you might not have a great source of calcium in the diet so it might be something that you need to look into supplementing with if you are, you know, uh, someone that would enjoy having strong bones later in life, which as we've discussed in the female health series, like osteoporosis, osteopenia, all that kind of stuff, like it is a concern or, or more of a concern, I should say, for women as they age. So it is something that you ideally want to look after when you're younger. And that means doing stuff like resistance training and then also consuming enough calcium. And like Gary mentioned earlier, protein as well. And then we have vitamin A and vitamin A again is a, a very important um, nutrient. Thankfully, we don't have very high levels of deficiency here in Europe, but it is something still to be uh, concerned about. So there are different forms of vitamin A. So you can get it in the forms of the, in the form of carotenoids, for example, in foods such as like sweet potatoes, carrots, etc. foods that have that orange pigmentation. And then you can also get it from uh, animal products in the form of retinol. Okay. Um, so that's, you know, similar to what people do be putting on their skin. Um, so that's vitamin A, basically. And uh, people use topical vitamin A, but in this case, what we're talking about is vitamin A in the form of uh, food or coming in through the diet. So it is an important um, nutrient. You can get it from foods like liver, eggs, dairy in very high concentrations. Now, that doesn't mean you want to go mad on eating liver. Vitamin A toxicity is also something that can actually be quite harmful. So um, you don't need to go full liver king on this, but uh, getting enough vitamin A in the diet is important. Yeah, and this is one of those ones that it's really important for overall health, but also specifically for like fertility and stuff related to that. Um, 
But it is one of also it is also one of those nutrients that is your requirements are going to change throughout your life cycle because vitamin A can actually be teratogenic, so it can actually be bad effectively we'll say like that for a developing fetus so it might be something that you need to consume in the lead up to pregnancy and then throughout pregnancy but at certain stages perhaps you don't want to be supplementing with vitamin a so again you just need to be going back to the start of this discussion you just need to be specific in terms of why are you consuming a certain nutrient and then does that change across your life cycle? Does that change like your require? Do your requirements change across your life cycle? And do you need to continue consuming the supplement? Which again, for women, because there are, I'll say, more changes across the life cycle, you just need to be a little bit more on the ball with this stuff, you know. Um, but anyway, that's vitamin A. We did do a, a more in-depth discussion of that in the female health series, so you can go back and listen to that. The next one then is just magnesium. Magnesium is one of those nutrients that a lot of people have difficulty with getting enough of in the diet overall. And that's purely because they don't eat enough fruit and vegetables and especially like leafy greens, right? So it might be something that you need to supplement with. A lot of people do find that you know, supplementing with magnesium does help, uh, you know, just in general, it makes them feel a little bit better, helps with stuff like, you know, cramping, helps with like restless leg syndrome, but it can also help with more female specific stuff. It can also help with like menstrual cramps and stuff like that, right? So a lot of people do find benefit in that. A lot of women specifically do find benefit in magnesium. Some people say it improves their sleep. Um, So in general, it's one of those more, innocuous supplements where i'm like yeah okay just take some magnesium it's not going to really harm you at all um but if you just eat enough fruits and vegetables you probably don't need to go out of your way to consume extra magnesium it might be a help i know some people like that targeted supplementation uh with magnesium but it's not necessary right and this is kind of the same with potassium which is the next one we're going on to if you eat enough fruits and vegetables you don't really need to think about this too much especially if you're eating stuff like uh tubers like potatoes and stuff like they're actually you know quite high in potassium you can also use like potassium based salts which we generally recommend uh when we're telling people you know if they're like oh i want to salt my foods like use a potassium based salt so you're getting sodium but you're also getting potassium rather than just that kind of sodium chloride which you get with like table salt um which is not great for your overall blood pressure again we don't need to get into that discussion but potassium a lot of people are not consuming consuming enough potassium and they're over consuming sodium so first of all eat your fruits and vegetables that's just a general good all-round recommendation and then try to reduce your sodium intake but also you can do stuff like switching your salt to potassium-based salt you know absolutely and then we have vitamin e which is a nutrient that can be gotten from nuts seeds vegetable oils probably not something that you know people need to worry too much about being uh, deficient in here um i think if your diet is pretty well rounded you should be able to get enough vitamin e in the diet similar thing for vitamin k if you're eating plenty of leafy vegetables um fruits as well can have a good amount of vitamin k some vegetable oils again it shouldn't really be something that you need to supplement with um we then got choline which is a food that are a nutrient that is more common in animal foods um so if you're on an an animal-based diet like or if you listen to people that promote animal-based diets it's one of the things that they'll constantly talk about you can't get choline on a plant-based diet but um so it is something that 
has uh, important roles in the body. It's something that you will, if you've been paying attention, you might be thinking, oh, is that related to acetylcholine, you know, in the brain that we were talking about when we talked about neurotransmission? And and that's yet, yeah, and the answer to that is yes. So choline is one of those nutrients that is uh, involved in neurotransmission. So um, choline, something that's uh, important, but uh, not something that people need to be, you know, widely supplementing with, I would say. Yeah, I would agree. If you can just eat some eggs a couple of times per week, you're probably good to go with this, you know. Um, but again, we're covering all these like general ones because you will see them very frequently. Someone's like, you just can't get enough vitamin A from the diet or you can't get enough choline, et cetera, et cetera. You need to take this supplement, right? Most of these, which we'll get on to, there's a few more. And uh, most of these, again, you're just going to be able to take, the, take one multivitamin tablet. You're covered with most of these. You eat a good diet, again, you're covered with most of these. So we're going through these just because, again, you just get so much marketing around this stuff. I mean, the next one then is actually a little bit harder to get in the diet for most people, which is just omega-3s. And that's purely because most people just don't eat enough fish, right? And for women specifically, omega-3s, well, I should, let's, let's be more specific here. For women who are thinking about or are pregnant, uh, omega-3s are something that you know play a bigger role in the overall brain development of a child so you might want to focus on them a little bit more right so eating enough fish in the diet week to week i should say not day to day that's probably a good idea eating fatty fish a couple times per week probably a good idea however a lot of people most people i would argue are going to find benefit from just supplementing it's very easy to just take some fish oil capsules and just not have to think about it. And then on top of that, eat fish a couple of times per week. And then you just ensure that your omega-3 status is always in a good place, you know? Um, so that would be my general recommendation. Take some omega-3s. Again, we generally recommend trying to get one to five grams per day of omega-3s. And that's actual omega-3s like EPA and DHA, not just like, oh, my capsule says it's a one gram and it's actually only like 200 grams or 200 milligrams, I should say, of actual omega-3s. So like one to five grams, it could actually be quite a lot. Like some of those capsules that you get, they're actually really low in actual omega-3. So you might be taking like 20 of them to try to get even like two grams. So ideally you would get a higher percentage uh, omega-3 supplement. That would just be the best option here. Um, but if you can get up to that one to five gram range, for most people, you're going to see benefit, you know? Um, does that mean that everyone has to consume five grams of omega-3s? Absolutely not. But there are potential benefits to higher intakes up in those levels, you know? Um, next one then, Gary, I'm actually going to say on that. What's the next one? Uh, next one is, is folate or often referred to as folic acid. Um, and this is something that is, is definitely very important at, at particular stages in life, in particular pregnancy, and not just during pregnancy, but it actually preconception is is when you really want to be making sure you're getting enough um folate so folic acid supplementation is something that would be recommended like as a blanket recommendation for anyone that's trying to conceive so this is probably one of those ones that is a bit more of a yeah you should probably take this if you're in that camp um but it can of course be gotten from the diet you can have plenty of folate in the diet dark green leafy vegetables in particular fruits and fruit juices also nuts beans peas seafood eggs dairy products liver meat poultry and grains so it can be gotten um 
throughout the diet. And again, you'll see it in fortified food products when you're, you know, again, box of cereal fortified with folic acid because it's a nutrient of potential concern. Um, so for someone that's trying to conceive a bit of a more rigid recommendation, yeah, you should probably um, supplement with folic acid. There are particular, um, you know, uh, supplements that are marketed to women like, you know, Pregnacare and things like that um that will have the appropriate dose so obviously not recommending any particular brand but some of those can be quite good as well yeah which this does transition us onto the the kind of next more targeted interventions right because all the ones that we've just discussed these are just general okay these are some nutrients of concern for women in general you might want to supplement with these you might want to just think about them in the diet in general be like okay actually where am i getting this do I need to supplement? Do I need to change my dietary practices? But then we get on to one of the, say, first goals. We're just ordering them in this order. They're, I'm not saying this is like a higher priority or anything, but one of the first more targeted interventions is fertility, right? So trying to improve your fertility. This is something that you know, women generally think, think of and men don't. Men think of, oh, how am I going to supplement to boost my testosterone? And the only thing they're thinking about in terms of fertility is, oh, I want to have a good libido, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and that that's it, right? Even though, you know, you probably shouldn't just think of it like that, like your actual health, your overall health, those influence the overall health of your sperm. Um, but anyway, we don't get into that too much, right? But women generally, they think about it a bit more. Oh, how do I improve my fertility? How do I, you know, make sure that I'm setting up the environment correctly in my, you know, body so that I can conceive a child and then carry a child for nine months and then, you know, potentially breastfeed, et cetera, et cetera, right? And as a result, we need to get a little bit more targeted with our supplementation. You know, again, food first approach. If you can get this stuff from food, that's the ideal. But some people are going to need to supplement, right? So for fertility, folate, like Gary said, this is one of those ones that it plays a role in the actual pregnancy, the maintenance of pregnancy, prevention of neural tube defects, um, which maybe you might want to go into what that means, Gary, in a second. But it does also play a role in actually promoting fertility itself it improves egg quality maturation fertilization itself and then actual implant implantation so it is one of those nutrients that if you are thinking about getting pregnant or you know even if you are pregnant it is one of those ones where you just need to be a bit more concerned about your folate intake yeah and and for an example of that when we're talking about neural tube defects would be something like spina bifida. There are others, but spina bifida is one that um, people would be uh, familiar with. So it's effectively where you get a disorder of the normal embryological development of the nervous system. Okay, so folic acid uh, plays an important role during that time. Um, and it's it's very clear that you know, neural tube defects or the, or the rates of their occurrence is reduced in response to folic acid supplementation. There are other benefits as well. But that's a really important one and one with a, a very significant effect size. So it is important. Um, next up. Yeah. So the next one then is just zinc. It is one of those ones that it does play a role in overall fertility, uh, plays a role in healthy ovulation and menstrual cycle regulation overall. So ensuring your zinc intake is in a good place. Again, it's just a good idea. You can supplement with this. Generally, we're not like I don't I don't really ever recommend zinc supplements. I'm like, you can get it. If you just eat some meat, generally you're going to get, especially red meat, you're going to get zinc intake, you know, and you don't actually need a lot to see benefit from this, right? So 
some zinc in the diet can be can be helpful for fertility uh, the next one then unless you have anything to say on that um, the next one then is selenium which is actually a little bit harder to get in the diet because selenium is really only found in like brazil nuts seafood as well organ meats and then meat in general and um, which as you might be aware again we've noted it already a lot of women follow a more plant-based diet so for them really their only option there is brazil nuts and how often are people just going oh actually i'll just i'll have some brazil nuts <laughs> you know probably not that often right um so it can be a nutrient that's a little bit harder to get in the overall diet so it is important in fertility um it is important in actually allowing and facilitating implantation. Um, again, we're talking about fertility. You want to be able to actually conceive and um, plays a role in menstrual cycle, like regulation, um, notably in the luteal phase. Um, but it is one of those nutrients that you might want to supplement with. Now, having said that, it's very easy to go overboard with selenium. So I wouldn't be going, oh, I need to get this super high dose selenium product. I generally just recommend multivitamin you know it's like they're going to have a small dose a low dose of it it's going to cover your bases yeah you might need specifically a little bit more but in those cases i'd probably go okay well if you're adding a multivitamin on top of a um good all-round diet then you're probably definitely covered in this case you know and um, trying to add there gary uh no agree fantastic what's next we got iron again. So we mentioned um, iron uh, previously, but iron deficiency, if you're deficient, uh, can be related to infertility or subfertility as well. So uh, it's something you might want to pay attention to if fertility is a concern. And the same advice as above applies. Choline then, we discussed it already, but it does have a role in the function of the placenta and also early brain development. So you can probably you know, put two and two together there, brain development, we mentioned previously, choline plays a role um, in neurotransmission. So it is something that has a role in the nervous system. So choline is something that, you know, you might want to pay attention to if you're considering fertility. And I, I think like, you know, while, while it can, we can, it might be, over, it might seem overkill when we're going through all these different nutrients talking about fertility, but generally people are having issues with fertility. They actually are willing to go to you know any length really to try to improve it so uh, thinking about these nutrients thinking about your diet what role that might play is something that I, people are actually willing to to put quite a bit of effort into then we've got vitamin e um so vitamin e although it's it's a vitamin and you mightn't think of it as such it's a an antioxidant okay so it does have an important antioxidant role as does vitamin c and there's a role here for uh, the health or thickness of the endometrium, uh, which is the place where the egg will be implanted. And then we've also got vitamin C, as I said, which plays a role in supporting the production of progesterone during the luteal phase. So again, something that's important for um, fertility again. We've got the B vitamins and low levels of B vitamins, particularly um, B12 and B6. Uh, when these are low or insufficient slash deficient, it is something that's uh, observed to be associated with infertility or subfertility. So again, making sure you have adequacy of the B vitamins is important. And we've got iodine again, as we mentioned, and low intake, low intake here is associated with lower risk of conception. So again, we're looking at that subfertility to infertility spectrum. We want to make sure we have adequacy. Um, anything else to say on those? 
Um, iodine also is, does play a role in fetal development, fetal brain development. It plays a role in, in like intelligence. You know, depends on how you measure intelligence like is it just like you etc but it does seem to play a role so ensuring that your iodine intake is sufficient in the lead up to being pregnant and then also during pregnancy it's it's probably a good idea um again we've noted that there are a few other ones folic acid vitamin d taking a prenatal uh multivitamin probably it probably be with something that I would generally recommend. A lot of them, they go through more stringent testing. Obviously, some of them are probably fucking shit, but the vast majority of them, like especially if it's a well-respected brand, is probably going to give you the nutrients that you need at the time that you need it. Like we're going through all these nutrients purely because I know people are interested. I know people want to know, well, what about this one? And what about this one? Because they get exposed to it. Like again, when I do the research for these uh, podcasts, I always do like, you know, pregnancy supplements and reddit like what are people talking about on the forum and like you get like complete left field recommendations then you also get these discussions of like oh should i take vitamin c like there's so like such a broad discussion with this stuff and it can be very confusing so we're going through each of these nutrients but you probably could just take a like a fertility multivitamin uh, prenatal multivitamin, uh, pregnancy multivitamin, and call it all good. Yeah, if you want to go dig a little bit deeper, well, I'm, again, I'm just before, take a step back. I'm also presuming that your diet is generally well balanced. Like if you're just taking a multivitamin, your diet is fucking chicken nuggets and chips, probably not going to do a huge amount. Like, yeah, it might improve things a slight bit, but it's probably not. Like you don't want supplements to, doing, to be doing the bulk of the work. You want them to be like the cherry on top right um but can be helpful right there are some other nutrients that or supplements that people often talk about um in relation to fertility etc that might not necessarily well we actually haven't covered one so omega-3s is another one which is you're not going to really find that in a multivitamin generally um but it is something that you want to pay more attention to uh, to increase the likelihood of fertility because it just generally makes people healthier um, but also because it plays such a vital role in the development of the child the, the fetus right so you want to be preparing the body ahead of time for that as well it's not just about improving your ability to conceive it's about improving the you know overall development of the child as well you know so you want to have built up a store of omega-3s. Um, and this is one of those ones where, because it is fat, like it is fatty acids, like you can store them over time, you know? So you want to consume a lot in the buildup to conceiving and then throughout pregnancy. Um, it can be a little bit difficult in pregnancy. I can't remember if we have one. We'll scroll down in a second. Um, but during pregnancy, it can be a little bit difficult to get sufficient omega-3s in the diet purely because generally women are a little bit more hesitant about consuming enough fish or consuming fish in general during the diet because or during pregnancy because there are potential risks associated with like mer mercury toxicity and you know undercooked uh meats and parasites etc you know um so that is something to be aware of omega-3s would be good protein also really key to healthy uh development of fetus and, and also just healthy fertility like you need to have sufficient protein levels 
to be fertile as well, you know? Um, but there is one nutrient, especially there are other nutrients, but the one that is a little bit more important to pay attention to in this kind of fertility, pregnancy, you know, discussion, we talked about it a second ago, it's vitamin A, right? You want to avoid high intakes. Yeah, you do want to get your vitamin A, vitamin A intake in a good place, but you don't want to be like excessively supplementing with vitamin A or excessively consuming, like Gary said earlier on, stuff like liver, uh, which has a, a lot of vitamin A. Um, and also, which is a little bit less commonly known, although I, I, it is on like warning labels, etc. Like you don't want to be using stuff like uh, retinol, retinoic acid, different uh, vitamin A based uh, or you know, isomers or whatever uh, creams and stuff for either for acne or for um, what's the word uh, like, you know, anti-aging, we'll say uh, wrinkle creams and stuff like that, even though there's a low percentage like a low risk for the vitamin a the retinol stuff being absorbed through the skin and into systemic circulation it is still something that i wouldn't necessarily just outright be like oh yeah it's fine just keep rubbing that cream on your your face uh because it could potentially be as we discussed earlier on teratogenic to pregnancy you know yeah the main the main one there really is the isotretinoin or uh, roaccutane if you're like that that's something that's prescribed by a dermatologist anyway you're like like you're you're gonna know about that but that is a um a, a vitamin a analog so it's uh very teratogenic so it's not something you want to be taking during pregnancy which um, is also why they always say when you go into like an, the, an assessment or whatever they're like are you sexually active are you on like you know uh, the pill or whatever you know they're they they want to know that there's a low risk for pregnancy because this is one of those things where it's you're not you're not going to just notice it you're not going to notice like oh yeah i'm pregnant for four weeks now like you're not you're not going to know maybe for four weeks or something right and then you're going to be like all right i've been using this cream the whole time and it is generally speaking the earlier stages of pregnancy where this is more of an issue you know um so again you're just you're just not going to know yeah and personally i'm not sure what the absorption rates of like the common creams like our our topical things like retinol etc i don't know what that's like in the skin and in circulation so don't take my input on that i'm not sure if most, you... most topical creams in fairness like they just don't like to there's a reason they don't prescribe many drugs topically it just it isn't great you know the only issue would be that vitamin a is or vitamin a analogs etc they are fat soluble so they might be able to penetrate deeper, get into cells, et cetera, which might be good for anti-aging wrinkles, et cetera. Um, but it might not actually be what you want when we're talking about systemic circulation. I haven't actually seen any uh, literature on the actual like rates of absorption and stuff. I would presume it's quite low, like just based on mechanistic reasoning. But again, don't take my advice. I personally, if I was able to get pregnant, I probably wouldn't be using like a retinol cream or something in that kind of pregnancy period or the lead up to conception, which again, can be quite hard. It happens randomly, <laughs> uh, usually anyway. Um, so again, it is one of those ones where you just have to be a bit more targeted. Spot on. Yeah. So I'm maintaining an agnostic position on that because I just don't know, <laughs> but don't take uh Rakuten. <laughs> Not good. Um, so yeah, vitamin A toxicity we're avoiding, uh, we've yeah we've covered everything else there i think really in terms of 
fertility. Um, the only other thing to say on fertility is that supplements aside, overall energy status is important. So if you are, you know, grossly underfed, so you're, you know, being chronically dieting, you're at a very low body weight, low energy availability, you can take all the supplements in the world and it, it's not going to fix the, the root cause of the issue, which is that you simply have low energy availability and reproduction will not be prioritized in that case. On the other hand, obesity and the metabolic complications associated with that can also lead to problems with fertility and uh, problems for the baby as well. So um, there's issues here on both sides of the spectrum, which is you know what comes back to what we always talk about, having a calorie appropriate diet throughout the lifespan is the ideal. So just and worth just it. Just further to that, obviously some women are going to be more or less like affected by this stuff. Because this is what always everyone always does. They're like, oh, well, my friend is... 10% higher body fat than me, 10% lower body fat than me, and they still got pregnant. That has no bearing on you. Right? <laughs> like it literally, they, you might as well treat them as a different species, right? Because it's all an individual thing. You might not be able to conceive at a certain level of body fat or a certain calorie intake, et cetera, right? So it has to be specific to your needs. And <clears throat> again, some women are more or less uh, sensitive to this stuff in terms of it could be a case where your friend does something like time restricted fe feeding, intermittent fasting, sees no effect. I know some women who literally they could skip a day of food and they're missing their next period then because their body is like, right, we're shutting down fertility. You haven't fed us uh, like clockwork <laughs> every couple of hours. So again, it has to be specific to your needs. And this is where like, yeah, general discussions, like even the one we're having, great, gives you a lot of information but it has to be tailored to you as an individual for your needs. Yes, sir. Um, and then we've got anemia. So um, anemia is not just iron deficiency, which is what some people seem to think because they're used um, interchangeably sometimes. But anemia just means that you basically have uh, low hemoglobin. Okay, so you don't have enough hemoglobin in the blood, which is what's responsible for carrying oxygen around your body. Um, and the, the synthesis of uh, red blood cells uh, does involve iron of course okay so iron is really important for red blood cells but it also involves other nutrients so things like uh, vitamin b12 and folate so if any of these are low you can end up with an anemia there are different types of anemia and if your doctor was doing further blood tests they'd see what size of the cells so if it's uh, iron deficiency anemia to be microcytic so the cells are small if it's uh, folate or b12 deficiency the cells will be bigger it's macrocytic anemia so there are more details there that your doctor would be able to characterize but generally speaking um for dealing with anemia or preventing anemia in women particularly where there's cases of um lots of blood loss through menstruation for example Having enough iron in the diet is important. Um, getting enough B12 in the diet, getting enough folate in the diet, having a generally nutrient-rich diet is something that's going to be quite important. So like, you know, we're not going to go through all the symptoms of anemia for today. You know, some of the ones that people would commonly discuss would be things like fatigue, you know, low energy, and it kind of impacts on your mood. You might, um, it, you know, in some cases you can have things like restless legs. You can have pallor in the eyelids, as Patty said, you can maybe be a bit pale generally, get palpitations. There's a broad range of symptoms that can be associated with anemia. <clears throat> um, but it is something that can be of concern for women, particularly in the presence of heavy menstruation. Yeah. And just further to this, this is also something that 
I, first of all, women are more, I was going to say susceptible. That's not quite true, but more likely to have different uh, digestive complaints, digestive issues, um, you know, somewhat immune related issues. So it could be a, fa- a case that you are actually getting enough in your diet for a quote unquote general, you know, all purpose your diet is good, but you're actually not absorbing enough or you're not able to digest certain things, et cetera. There could be a whole host of different things which women are a little bit more likely to encounter. So this is where, again, you want to be talking to your doctor. If you're going to your doctor and just going, oh, I'm feeling a little bit lightheaded when I stand up or you know, I have low energy or whatever. And then you also go, oh yeah, actually I have Crohn's disease as well, or I have celiac disease or whatever it is. Like they are potentially related because- it is your digestion. Like you are trying to get the nutrients into your body, you know, and a supplement is not necessarily going to fix that. And you might need more, we'll say aggressive interventions, you know, and that's something that you need to talk to your doctor about. Like anemia gets kind of treated like, oh, it's just iron, like you said. And then it's like, oh, well, I'll just take some iron tablets and it's all good. And that's not really the solution All in all cases. Like there, again, there are, issues associated with higher iron intakes, uh, even if it's, you know, a more innocuous, I suppose you would say, a concern such as just constipation, like that is still something that you need to be concerned about. It is still something that you don't want to just be taking excess iron for no reason. Yes, sir. And then that brings us on to the next category, which is just briefly mentioning osteoporosis and long-term bone health. We've already discussed it, but there's a few nutrients that are important here. So we've got calcium, we've got magnesium, we've got vitamin D, vitamin K, and also we've got protein. Okay. So all of these nutrients should be of concern for the prevention of osteoporosis and long-term bone, the maintenance of long-term bone health. But also alongside this, you want to be resistance training. So there's no point giving all the substrate, you're giving your calcium, you've got your vitamin D, your, your nutrition is good if you're not actually loading your bones. So resistance training in combination with these variables best thing you can do for your bone health long-term. Yeah. And you could argue, Oh, like I'll, I'll just take the nutrients. It'll be all good. I'll do some walking and stuff. And you know, that's, that's load bearing. And like, yeah, that is load bearing. Like you have to walk your, your bones are going to get some, some tension on them, <laughs> but in general, you're going to have to like go beyond that at some stage. And that's either resistance training, or you can do stuff like jumping plyometrics, sprinting. The only thing about those is, they don't really give you this kind of like more whole body uh, tension, we'll say, we'll put it like that, pressure. So you're not really getting all those bone building effects in the upper body, for example. Like you do get some even just more generally, like your body is a an entire organism, a whole, like it's not just like, oh, I'm only going to prioritize this, this one area here, but it does somewhat work like that. Um, so you want to get all the nutrients, you want to have an effective training program if osteoporosis and long-term bone health is a concern which I would argue is the case for everyone. And then more specifically for women in general, you know, like this is probably like the vast majority of the women listening here. This is probably the way you will die, (laughs) right? Like realistically, you're going to get weak bones. You're going to get a weak hip. You're going to fall. You're going to break your hip. And then you're going to be dead within a year. You know, ideally you want that to happen when you're in your nineties or your hundreds, you know, you don't want that to happen when you're in your sixties, you know, or fifties even. So that's, that is, it would be a big concern for me. And you can only prevent that 
in your earlier life. Like obviously you can prevent it in your, your later life as well, but you do a far better job by building strong bones in your younger years when you have estrogen, et cetera, helping you than you do to kind of stave it off in your older years. Absolutely. You know, you just have to do your bone health like an investment. The earlier you invest in it, the better, you know, the, the, and, and also the more energy, the more vitality that you have when you're young to allocate to resistance training and things like that. Okay. You don't want to leave it too late. The earlier, the better. All right. Um, and then that we have a few more categories to discuss just quickly. You know, we mentioned iodine previously. Um, iodine plays an important role in the, you know, formation of thyroid hormones, which obviously have an important role in metabolism and growth. So, you know, again, iodine deficiency could be something of relevance there to hypothyroidism. But again, hypothyroidism is a very broad brush. There's, if you have hypothyroidism, you want to be discussing that with your doctor or hyperthyroidism. You want to discuss that with your doctor, um, but there can be some nutrients related to that, but it could just be autoimmune. It could be, you know, malignant for all we know. There's many different reasons why someone might have derangements in their thyroid function. Yeah. And then I'm just going to, I know it's on our list to go through a few of these other ones, but I'm actually just going to skip down to the bottom one, Gary, if that's okay with you, yep. which is pregnancy. Um, and for this, again, you'll see all kinds of recommendations, fear, no fear. People are like saying, oh, you should take this thing. And it's like, well, maybe you shouldn't take that thing. Um, but in general, there are a few nutrients that maybe we do want to supplement with, or we want to be aware of supplementation during these time periods right we've talked about a lot of them so we won't go too in depth with this but i just wanted to take this off protein intake it's important for child development you know even though people kind of go oh i just it's fine i'll just get enough like it is actually something that a lot of women struggle with uh, during pregnancy they might have a protein aversion and so trying to overcome that is something that you need to be a little bit more aware of now you don't want to be excessive in your protein intake either but you do need to have like a your baseline requirements looked after omega threes as we've noted again really important some people are a little bit scared of you know eating fatty fish during pregnancy which is you know fair enough this is where supplementation can be really helpful really effective you know uh, vitamin a as we've talked about we don't want to have excess levels in those first couple of months at least of uh, pregnancy so it is one of those ones that you just need to be a little bit more dialed in on right vitamin d again it's important we don't need to be excessive in our levels ideally again blood test if you don't have it lower level intake should be fine you know folic acid we discussed that important for fertility but then also throughout the pregnancy right um so you i should also say after pregnancy as well it is important for breastfeeding as well if you are breastfeeding and um, so consuming that in the diet ideal if not potentially supplementing as well calcium your calcium requirements don't change uh for pregnancy as far as i'm aware like they might go up just a little bit but it is something that you should just be a bit more aware of because you're not only building your own bones you're building a child's bones now as well it's also something that you potentially want to be a little bit more aware of when you are breastfeeding as well like if you are breastfeeding um it is one of those nutrients that i don't think you necessarily need to go excessive with your intakes uh but it is one of those ones where you just need to ensure that you're getting enough. <laughs> uh, iodine as well is important for childhood intelligence or child intelligence. Childhood is not the right word. Child intelligence. Um, again, I'm putting intelligence in inverted commas because you know what does that even mean? Um, but 
it does seem to be associated with higher IQs, et cetera, right? So iodine is something to focus on if you can. Again, it can be a little bit difficult to find in the diet as we discussed earlier on, right? Iron as well is one of those ones that, again, you do want to ensure that you have adequate iron levels throughout pregnancy. That doesn't mean that you need to supplement with iron. Eating some red meat a couple times per week should cover your bases for most people. But again, this is something that you as an individual need to dial in a little bit more, you know, um, and then which follows our general recommendation overall during pregnancy, you do also want to have reduced sodium intake. You don't want to have high blood pressure. That would be not a great thing for you or for the developing baby. So ideally less sodium, probably a good idea. Is there anything else to add on that Gary? No, I think that covers it. Fantastic. And then we're just going to finish up on three more like specific things. And we're not going to go too in depth with these because we did entire podcast episodes on these and we, we covered all these supplements a little bit more in depth, but one that I do, well, I want to go through all three of them, but I want to just note a few supplements with these with PCOS is one of those ones where again, people get exposed to some of the most reckless ridiculous claims out there um, and a lot of it just does not have a lot of supporting evidence for it and that's unfortunate because you can understand that if you have a condition pcos endometriosis or whatever you are more likely and more willing to want to search for something that's going to help you especially if you're in a lot of pain it it's always the case you know if you're in a lot of pain like you are willing to do quite a lot to get out of that pain, you know? Um, but there are some supplements that are often recommended. Some of these are a little bit more than just like nutrients of concern, right? Like inositol, it is one of those ones that does seem to have quite a, quite a lot of evidence. Well, I wouldn't say a lot, but quite a bit of evidence to suggest that it could help with PCOS symptoms. And uh, myo-inositol uh, and D-chiro-inositol in a 40 to 1 ratio seems to be what most people recommend seems to be what the literature recommends i'm not sure exactly if that ratio has to be specific if it could be higher it could be lower but that's generally what is recommended it does also have other effects in terms of improving menstrual cycle regulation improving egg quality and um, but it does seem to reduce many of the symptoms of pcos right there are other ones that are more or other supplements that are more uh specific in terms of what symptoms they're trying to improve or tackle with PCOS. Berberine is one that's very often recommended for improving insulin sensitivity. I personally don't think berberine is all that good. There's some off-target effects that potentially aren't beneficial, but some people do, excuse me, do find uh, benefit from berberine. This is similar to N-acetylcysteine. Some people find benefit in terms of improving insulin sensitivity, improving fertility, um, L-carnitine is another one that increases uh, fat metabolism, like your ability to actually use fat. And some people find benefit in that in terms of their overall PCOS symptoms. There are some other off-target effects. Like it does actually increase androgen receptor density, which, you know, I don't know how that necessarily interacts with something like PCOS where potentially you have more androgens. So it depends. Uh, magnesium as well. A lot of people with PCOS do say that magnesium helps them with their symptoms. So that is one of those ones where, again, magnesium, we talked about it in general, seems to be beneficial for a lot of people, eat your fruits and vegetables. 
if I had PCOS and I was eating my fruits and vegetables and I was like, I'm still having symptoms, I probably would take some extra magnesium and see how that worked, you know, see if it affected me. Because it does seem to have some evidence to suggest that anecdotal and then also like in the literature. There are other ones, other supplements now that are also recommended. Vitex is very often recommended for people with PCOS. Some, it's kind of meh. I'm always like, it seems to do a lot. It seems to be one of those wonder drugs or wonder supplements. That's like, oh, it's going to improve your uh, fertility. Oh, it's going to improve hormonal balance. And you're like, what does that even mean? Right. Uh, Similarly with zinc, again, zinc is a nutrient of concern that we want to be making sure that we are getting adequate levels of zinc across the life cycle. But if you have PCOS, it might be something that you focus a little bit more on. Right. Similarly, chromium, it is, you know, part of a general diet, but if you do have PCOS, maybe it is something that you want to look into a little bit deeper. Some people do find benefit from it. Personally, I think it seems a bit overblown in terms of, oh, this is going to be you know super beneficial. And I don't think necessarily that the research supports this like huge magnitude of effect. Omega-3s, these are one of my favorites. So I'm going to hype them up. I think they are quite beneficial for a variety of things, um, but they do seem to improve insulin sensitivity. And if that's, if you have PCOS, that is something that might be of importance to you. Um, there's another one, uh, ALA is one that often gets recommended for people with PCOS. Again, there's a, I would probably say that has a little bit more uh, support in terms of improving insulin sensitivity. Is it going to be a game changer? Probably not. Um, vitamin D again, this is just healthy hormonal balance in general. That's vitamin D is one of those ones that is like, it just does everything. (laughs) Um, then there are some other ones that potentially we could get into like caffeine it does seem to increase sex hormone binding globulin for quite a lot of people so that is something that some people with pcos look into a little bit deeper and then melatonin as well um, is one that some people again dig a little bit deeper and seem to find benefit with pcos with uh, or seem to find benefit for their pcos and so all of those i know i just went through a fucking list and just fucking jotted them all out the reason I did that is because, again, we did an episode on PCOS and really dug into this stuff. Um, but it, if you are considering supplementation and you are going, oh, I have PCOS, you need to be a little bit more targeted, a little bit more specific in what questions you are answering with specific supplements. Just because someone says, oh, berberine is great for PCOS, you need to go, well, what part of PCOS? Like what, what is that solving? What's the, what's the, what's the issue? What's the symptom? What's the X that it's solving? What, why would I take this specifically for what you are dealing with? You know, is it going to, I don't know, regulate your cycle? Is it going to improve insulin sensitivity? Is it going to reduce symptoms of pain? Like, like what, what is, what specifically is it doing? And that's what you need to think of. So even though I went through a whole list there, and again, go back, listen to the episode, um, you need to be more dialed in in terms of what am I actually trying to achieve? You want to have your baseline recommendations or your baseline diet good, maybe then have some baseline general health promoting supplements on top of that. And then you need to go, well, what question am I answering with this supplement? Yes, sir. Um, and then that brings us to endometriosis, which is um, another female concern, of course. 
this is where we have deposition of endometrial tissue uh, from the lining of the uterus or womb uh, outside of uh, its normal location. Okay, so you're basically getting tissue, which can be um, in the fallopian tubes and the ovaries. It can even be in the bowel and bladder. So it can be distant in the body too. Now, endometriosis can cause um, many different symptoms and it, one of them can be, you know, quite a bit of pain uh, associated with uh, menstruation or the perimenstrual period. So um, there are some supplements that are recommended. Um, Omega-3s and curcumin are often recommended for their uh, anti-inflammatory effects and potentially helping with pain and potentially the growth of the endometriosis cells as well there with curcumin. Um, there's DIM, which is one, one that we touched on uh, in the last episode as well, uh, which can have some interactions with estrogen metabolism, maybe of benefit. Uh, we've got calcium deglucurate, uh, which is a supplement that again interacts with estrogen metabolism. Vitex, as we mentioned previously, um, not necessarily recommended. It can increase levels of estrogen, not necessarily something that we're looking for here. N-acetylcysteine can help with reducing uh, the size of uh, cysts and also can uh, help with growth or reducing the growth and you know controlling the growth of those endometrial um, cells, ectopic cells. Um, magnesium can help, as we mentioned previously, in terms of the management of pain and some of those um, spasmodic effects. So where we get the contractions, cramping, uh, that can have a muscle relaxing um, effect there as well. So that's particularly if you're, you know, someone's having a lot of symptoms around menstruation, pain, cramping, magnesium might be something that's a benefit. And again, with all of these, I'm just running through them quickly because we've touched on them above already and we're still recommending the food first approach. It's just considering where some of these nutrients might come into play. The B vitamins, again, are potentially important here um, related to both inflammation and estrogen metabolism. Vitamin D, again, similar effects. Melatonin can have antioxidant properties, as can vitamin C and E. So um, there can be some benefits here potentially associated with or potentially due to the oxidative stress in the uh, condition of endometriosis. And obviously melatonin could also help with sleep as well if that was an issue that someone was having. So um, overall here, you know, there are some supplements there that might be of benefit. Um, but you know, there's, it's a, it's a mixed bag and I would really be saying just food first in all these cases is, is the most important thing. Yeah. And again, it is one of those ones where, first of all, go back, listen to the episode. I know I hate, I hate, I hate when people do that on their podcast, They're like go back and listen to this other episode. And you're like, I don't want to fucking listen to another hour of these guys fucking talking or two hours or whatever, you know? Um, but we do go a little bit deeper on all of these things with all of these. What we recommend when we're talking about supplements is don't just take our advice. Don't just go, oh, they mentioned this. Did they say it was good? Was it bad? I can't really remember. We're mentioning all of these supplements or nutrients or whatever so that they're brought to your awareness. Some of them are good. Some of them are bad. Like again, for Vitex, for example, for endometriosis, it's probably not one that I would recommend. But again, you go onto Reddit, you go onto any of these message boards and people will be like, oh, have you tried Vitex? You know, and you might not know where to find more information about that. So first of all, go back, listen to the previous podcast. <laughs> uh, but also you can just use that information. Okay, now you have a name, right? Vitex. Oh, I don't know what that is. 
examine.com that's where we generally send people really good website for looking a little bit deeper into supplements you might not have a uh, research background you might be like i don't know how to read research i don't know what to do with that I, like I, what, where do i even start and for that examine is phenomenal it'll give you a breakdown it's not always perfect you know it's it's you know humans we're not perfect right it might not include everything it might have all the supplements etc but it'll give you a really good understanding of okay well is this effective what's the magnitude of effect is it actually something that's really beneficial like it's like oh this is going to be a game changer or is it something that meh, it might work it might help it might you know might do something right um really beneficial to go onto examine.com to dig a little bit deeper with all of these things and that's why we're just we just wanted to have a podcast where we just noted all of these supplements that are recommended for women uh, for different concerns etc and um, but yeah what's the last one gary yeah the last category of supplements is related to pms or pmdd so premenstrual syndrome or dysphoric disorder um again lots of supplements that you'll see recommended here some of the ones that potentially have you know a bit more evidence to support them would be uh some of the b vitamins so there's b6 b1 b2 as well um and magnesium uh, potentially omega-3s and vitamin d as well uh some of the others vitamin e calcium um vitex maybe calcium d glucarase dim so there's these supplements again have, have some evidence to support their efficacy um but uh, it's it's not overwhelming you know vitamin vitex compared to endometriosis it seems like there is a bit more evidence here um for maybe playing a role with pms and pmdd um but i think the the b vitamins probably the strongest evidence maybe magnesium as well um and again lots of anecdotes <laughs> as you said for supplements that get recommended here and i think that's always going to be the case when you're dealing with you're dealing with you know pain and mood related changes um which are inherently subjective um so you know it's it's hard to say what's really effective based on anecdotes but the b vitamins magnesium maybe omega-3s and vitamin d are, are some of those that have some evidence yeah and you also have to factor in that a lot of people just have terrible diets right yep. so for them adding in magnesium or one of the b vitamins for example might be just an absolute game changer but it's a game changer like it would be a game changer even if they didn't have endometriosis or pmdd or whatever because they're going from really low insufficient intakes to adequate levels you know so that's going to make just a general population individual with no extra concerns it's going to make them feel better so it's very hard to cut through the noise with this stuff because you're dealing with people that are probably insufficient in multiple nutrients. They don't have a great diet. They don't have great exercise patterns, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Cause that's the vast majority of the population, right? Like you might be listening to this going, Oh no, the people that I see, they all have great diets and general, whatever, but you're listening to a health podcast. The vast majority of people, again, they eat like chicken nuggets and chips for dinner. That's their entire dinner. Right. Uh, so you have to factor that in and go, okay, well for them, going from insufficient to sufficient is probably a huge jump in terms of benefits, right? But you going from, oh, I have a really good general baseline diet. You know, we, again, recommend this food first approach. You've followed everything we have produced on, you know, setting up a diet. Like we have an article on the website in terms of how to do that, et cetera. You've done all the stuff. You've really good baseline habits in place. For you, you might go, oh, well, I'm actually going to just add in some more 
B vitamins, for example, and you're going to see no benefit, you know, or maybe a very mild benefit, right? So it is very hard to cut through the noise with all this stuff. And then actually, even in the research go, oh, well, this is actually a beneficial nutrient because it, 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 it does actually kind of cook both ways. Like you're not actually allowed to do studies anymore where people are insufficient in X nutrient, right? So if you're trying to find out the exact benefit of uh, vitamin D, for example, like you're not really able to recruit people with really low levels of vitamin D, even though that might be representative of the actual population, right? So there's that. But then also a lot of people do just have generally kind of shitty diets. So when you introduce a nutrient to these background, relatively shitty diets, you could just be correcting deficiency or subclinical deficiency or insufficiency, whatever way you want to think of it, and just bringing them to sufficient levels. And that might actually allow you to then report in your study, your scientific study in this whatever journal going, oh, we saw a huge benefit, but it could just be bringing them up to a more adequate level. So very hard to cut through all the noise on this stuff. This is why we generally recommend really just set up a good baseline diet, food first approach, get a good diet, get good exercise patterns, and then layer on a little bit more uh, nuance to your specific situation. The first nuance we probably layer on for most people is Okay, just have a multivitamin, you know, a low dose multivitamin covers all your bases. You don't have to think excess about it. Now, that's not the case for everyone. We don't always recommend an extra like multivitamin, but that would be the first place to start. See how that gets on. Okay, now, okay, omega-3s would probably be the next one. They seem to work for so many different things. Cool. And then we get way more targeted in terms of, okay, I have PCOS or endometriosis. What could help specifically with the exact symptoms that I am dealing with or the exact situation that I am dealing with, not just, oh, someone on Reddit or whatever said that B vitamins are good for endometriosis. Like, yeah, they might be good for someone that has low levels of B vitamins because their diet is crap. But that doesn't mean that you with enough B vitamins in your diet because you eat like 15 servings of fruits and veg per day. It doesn't mean that that's going to affect you in the same way it affected them. Right. So again, we have to be more targeted with our thinking and our overall approach. Check. Anyway, Gary, I have nothing else really to add. As we said at the start of this, this is more of a shotgun overview. Here's all the different things that, you know, have some evidence, some, some efficacy. They're worth maybe investigating a little bit more, or as we noted with some of them, we're like, they're often recommended, but meh. Yeah, absolutely. So look, if you're... (laughs) You couldn't come into this this podcast and listen to the hundred or so different things that we mentioned and say, right, they're all on my supplement shopping list. But at least you have names. At least you have things. Excuse me. That you can go away and look up or consider in the context of your own diet. You know, the lads mentioned, uh, you know, uh, vitamin B12. Where am I getting that in my diet? Do I have enough? Might I need to change my diet? You know, they're the things that you should really be thinking about. So, if you need further help just on that, we've done an entire female series. Yeah. This <laughs> that was... would be where I would send people. That would be the next step. If you just come to this and you're like, Jesus, actually, yeah, I didn't realize there were so many different things that I could be considering. Oh, I actually have endometriosis. I didn't know that they did a podcast on endometriosis. Go back and listen to that. I would also recommend just listening to the more like baseline female health podcast series. So again, set the baseline up, the foundations, and then deal with the specific issues, conditions, whatever on top of that, you know? Go back, listen to those episodes. That will be the next step after this, if you haven't already. 
Absolutely. And if you need more targeted help with your nutrition or your training for that matter, we do have coaching that we offer. So if you'd like to work with a member of the triage team, you can fill in your details at the link below and we'll get back to you with further details. You can also click the link to our website and you'll be able to see testimonials and who we've worked with in the past and also get an idea of who's on our coaching team. We also put out a lot of free content, guys. So if you're not following us on social media and subscribing to our YouTube channel at Triage Method and also subscribing to the podcast, then you're missing out on all of that content. So there's new content every single week. The same thing goes for our newsletter. Subscribe to the newsletter and you'll receive exclusive content along with a summary of all the new content that we've put out on Instagram as well as YouTube, the podcast and elsewhere. Okay, so make sure you subscribe to that. We have a nutrition certification as well that you can get involved with to get certified as a nutritionist with triage. If you'd like to get a more comprehensive understanding of nutrition and be able to relay that to others to help them towards their goals. Okay, so that's something I recommend that you do. Otherwise, that's everything from us, I believe. Mm -hmm. Goodbye. See ya.